So almost 31 years ago, we're only a few weeks from, from the anniversary of it, Kim and I got married. Um, and, the, and I've been thinking about this because when we got married, we, we entered into more than just a contractual agreement between two people. Because we understood as we stood before each other and family and friends and more importantly before God that we were entering into a sacred covenant between each other. The covenant of marriage. And because of the vows that we exchanged, each of us has the right to expect the other to follow through in that covenant. And I will admit, every time I get to perform and officiate a wedding, as I read the vows and I read the the marriage covenant and have the uh, bride and groom recite those things, it takes me back almost 31 years to that time where it was Kim and I standing there. And those words linger heavy. Because as I've studied this week, something that just kept coming back to me is, you know, it's one thing to just remember. And we, we think of, well, remember this, remember that. And that's more of the idea of, let's just not forget. But more importantly is the idea of, remember this. And it's more than just the understanding of don't forget, but it's more of the understanding of actively participating in remembrance. That you live into it each and every day. And that's where I, I think of it in the marriage ceremony in our, in our marriage. Uh, it should be an active thing where we remember those vows and participate in them. And this, the reason I bring up all of this is because it's that expectation of following through that's a really reasonable understanding and description of a primary term for us this morning, which is the Hebrew word hesed. It's used to describe in the Old Testament this idea of loyalty and obligation that characterizes a covenantal relationship between two parties. But unfortunately, because of the English language, we have to choose a word. And so some will choose mercy, some will choose love, some will try to expand it, and they'll say loving kindness. And, and others will say steadfast love. And yet it has so much more to it. There, it's a deeper meaning to it and understanding. In fact, uh, author Dan Boone, who's the uh, president at Trevecca Nazarene University, uh, defines his said as the behavior that one person has the right to, to expect of the other in light of the promises that were made. And the reason I bring this up today is because, you know, even as we are 
in the midst of this Advent season. And we acknowledge that Advent is the season of longing, it's of waiting, it's of anticipation for Christmas, of, of the coming. It's a, it's a remembrance that, that Christ has come, but it's also a waiting and longing and looking forward to that Christ is coming again. And, and so it's, it's in this midst of this time where we also can understand it's a time of repentance. As we uh, look and we encourage, are encouraged to search our hearts and to seek after God. Not out of fear of, or anxiety, but because we understand the steadfast love of God. It's not that we can demand that God give us this or give us that, uh, and, but it's that we understand because we have an experience with him where we've experienced and understand that God has done this before, has continued to do it, and we understand that he will continue to do it. And so we continue to put our trust on that reality that God will always be faithful so today we're going to focus on this psalm that Finley read for us as we find the people of God asking God to do this, to show us your steadfast love, O God. In verse 7, it's kind of the key part of this psalm. They do this as they are recognizing their own sin and their own unfaithfulness to God, that they haven't lived up to the covenant. And as they do this, they are asking God to remember that covenant promise that he made so long ago to Abraham, that God would be faithful to them, that he would be their God. And so even as they're repenting in in earlier verses, they're asking that God's faithfulness will continue and would be revealed to them once again as it had been in the past. And the reason that they do it is because they trust and believe that God's love is expansive and without limit. That they trust that God is faithfulness. And so as we look at this psalm, and I want us to break it down a little bit as we go through it, let's get some context of what they're really remembering and asking for. In Genesis chapter 15, God establishes a covenant with Abraham, who at that point is still known as Abram. And he says that I'm going to give you a family from Sarah and to have what would eventually be called the promised land. That I'm going to give you this land that you're standing in right now. It's going to, all these things are going to happen, but you're going to have this land. So God instructs Abraham to be a part of this, this ceremony where they're going to get all these various animals and they're going to cut them down the middle and kind of make an aisleway with the halves. It's quite the gory scene if you really think about it, but uh, this practice is known as a cutting of a covenant. And it was used to seal an agreement between two parties. And typically, what would happen is you'd cut these animals and you'd have them. And together, in the understanding of what you are agreeing to, you would walk through the center of those two with an understanding that if you broke the covenant, you would be like these animals, rendered in two. 
And yet, that's not what happens. In fact, it says that Abram has to keep the vultures away during the day. And he goes, and he has this vision. And God goes through on his own between the animals, between the sacrifices. In the, in the form of a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Because this covenant really isn't about you do this and I'll do that. And if you don't do this and I don't do that, then, then this will happen. That's not what this covenant is about. This covenant is, is all about God and what he alone can do. And, and unlike other covenants, this one's all about God's blessing. Abraham's job in this is firmly and solely to trust and believe in God's word. And then in Genesis 17, God reiterates this covenant by establishing circumcision as a sign that Abram and his descendants would keep the covenant to be faithful to God. And that this covenant wasn't just for Abraham. It's for all his descendants, generation after generation after generation. And it reveals throughout it that it's a steadfast love, a love that is going to continue, that isn't just tied to, but it's, it's tied to who God is. And it's because it's a demonstration that God is taking both, both sides of responsibility for the covenant. And at the same time, he's, he's understanding and expecting the people to maintain their faithfulness because of who he is. And so this foundation, this covenant is the foundation of the entire relationship that God has with the Hebrew people. Everything is centered on it. They are a people of promise as a result of Genesis 15. And so when we read Psalm 85, we find once again this lament. But it's not a lament just focused on them. It's a lament that's focused on a, a tour of the faithfulness of God based on the reality of that covenant. For, from the very beginning in verses 1 through 3, what we find is the people remembering and proclaiming the faithfulness of God. God, remember when you did this? Remember when you did this? Remember, God? Because they're remembering and proclaiming God, and so they're asking that, hey, God, you know, we, we desire your favor because, you know, to restore the fortune and what you promised to Jacob, which is the family line of the Israelites. And so once again, it's under, generally understood that this is written just much like last, last week's. Uh, psalm that it's written in the midst of the time where they're coming out of exile they're leaving babylon they're coming back into the promised land retaking it and finding wow this is not what we remember this isn't like what you know there's devastation everywhere because the babylonians just destroyed it the persians that followed them just destroyed it there's no walls. There's nothing, you know, it's, it's barren ground because it hasn't been worked for 70 years that they've been in exile. And so they're, they're asking God, remember, remember what it used to be. 
Remember what you promised God. But more importantly, it's a reminder to them as well that, you know what? You may claim this land, but God owns this land. It may be your inheritance, but God's the real owner. And so in verse 1, they started out with calling out the name Yahweh. Now our, our Bibles uh, often don't write it that way. They write it Lord with a capital L and then small caps with the O-R-D. So when you see that in your, in your Bibles, know that that's a translation decision for Yahweh. And it reminds both parties of that covenant between Abraham and his descendants. It's the name that Moses was given to describe, I am who I am. I am. I am the great I am. And that holy name illustrates God's power and his faithful presence with God's people. It signifies the power to save, but more importantly, it conveys the promise and the reality of his presence with all generations of his people. And so in verses 1 through 3, they they seek to remind themselves, and more importantly, they want God, hey, remember, we know we've messed up in the past and you forgave us then. We recognize that we've messed up now and we're expecting you to forgive us now. Because you promised to do so. And so we get into the next section of verses 4 through 7. And they're, remember, they're reminding remind God how good he is in the past because, well, God, we've screwed up again. We've done it again. And so they lament, will God be angry with them forever? Will the people be revived? They're wanting to persuade God to put an end to his anger. And in fact, they have a firm belief that if he doesn't do it, there's no hope. There's no hope for restoration. And yet over all of this is this understanding and and firm belief and conviction that God is compassionate and merciful. So in verse 7, we go back. It's, it's we find this cry for God's unfailing love to be present once again. And it all revolves around that word, said. It's where it's translated steadfast love, unfailing love in some translations. This declaration implores God to remember the covenant, which I firmly believe he never forgot. But at the same time, it indicts the people that know that they are loved in spite of their failings. That God, it's been us that's forgotten it. We're the ones that messed up. And so they're asking God to be faithful in spite of their own unfaithfulness. And we recognize like they did that God is always faithful even when we aren't. So we move into verses 8 through 9, where we once again find that they are focusing on the promises of God. Because that's bigger than their failings. 
that the promises, God promises peace, shalom, wholeness, a desire for the best, that he promises that to a faithful people and salvation to those who follow him. And so then we get into verses 10 through 13 that connects all of these themes that are going on and it declares that the faithfulness and love are connected. This is covenantal language. Faithfulness and love are connected. When we truly love with the love of God, we will be faithful. When we truly live into that, because we take the focus off of ourselves. And so God is faithful because God is steadfast love for us. In fact, in verse 10, the psalmist portrays God's salvation as this dynamic activity in which all these characteristic qualities of God come and meet and greet each other. And it's, it's kind of interesting words. It declares that righteousness and peace kiss. There's a deep connection between righteousness, this doing right things for the right reasons. And peace. Because when we seek righteousness, when we seek to do the right things for the right reasons, peace comes with it. In fact, we find that fullness and righteousness, I mean faithfulness and righteousness are viewed as as abundance from God. That we see this illustrated in their language of the land yielding a harvest because there is abundance when we are in right relationship with God. And so here's the good news. This isn't just a song for thousands of years ago of a people coming out of exile from Babylon. This is our song. Our hope is based on this very real and present reality of the promise that God's steadfast love is present and real for all of us. This is our song. And so we must remember. And again, it's it's more than just don't forget. It's actively remember, constantly bringing it back before our our understanding so that we live into it day after day after day. Don't forget God's faithfulness. Don't forget our call to his faithfulness. For us to be a faithful people that represent him in this world. This is... Our song, that the steadfast love and faithfulness of God in the past, that we remember. And by remembering, I'm not just talking about forgetting, but actively remembering, recalling, bringing it to our minds. And so we do that by remembering through the stories that we are given in Scripture. As we answer the questions of where do we see God at work? Where does God illustrate God's steadfast love? What is he doing in, a, in the midst of Scripture? Because it helps give us an understanding of God and how he works. We do this through remembering uh, through the stories of church history. As we remember the steadfast 
love of God has been apparent in the church, both global and local. We think back to the stories and remember. We do this through remembering the stories of our friends and family and those around us that illustrate the steadfast love of God, that God was faithful here. Let me tell you about this experience that I had. Can't explain it any other way than God was at work. And so we have this story. And we need to remember because we need to share that story that each and every one of us carries. That we each have this story to share that needs to be shared and it needs to be listened to. Because we are all witnesses of God's faithful and steadfast love. And we do this by remembering also through the stories of our own past. We need to think back to where God, we've seen God's steadfast love in our very own lives. As he's worked, as he's provided, as he's healed, as, as he's guided, as as, as doors have closed and doors have opened. And we need to tell those stories. But there's another side to it. Because much like this psalm, we also need to recognize and lament the broken covenants that are around us. That we have failed. That there are experiences where we've watched relationships and and covenants break. That people haven't lived up to what they've been called to do. And I admit as a pastor, especially in youth ministry, we would, we'd be talking about different concepts and understandings. And, and there are many times where I've sat with, especially a young man, who, 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 who was sitting there crying. And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, how... We, we keep talking about a good, good father. We keep talking how God loves us so much. And he says, how can I understand a, a good, good father that loves me when my own earthly father has completely abandoned me? Because the challenge in these earthly relationships sometimes is that as we break covenant. We forget about the effects that it has, and, and we project sometimes upon God our own human experiences. It's not that God broke that relationship, but someone did. And so we, we try to wrap our heads around how can God, if, if this is what the... And so it's good for us to recognize during Advent on what causes us to feel unworthy or unlovable, where the brokenness is. And then for us to look at ourselves and recognize that because of God's love, it goes beyond anything that we could ever experience or understand fully. That God's love has no limits. God never fails. That as we look at that person in the mirror we can understand that we truly are loved. 
And the thing about this, that although the recognition of our own sin and unworthiness doesn't diminish God's love, at the same time, we are still called to repent of the ways that we have been unfaithful to God, while still knowing that God loves us. So as we repent, we recognize that we don't need to fear God when we're honest, because honesty before God and one another leads to the hopeful transformation of our lives that we become better representatives of who he is. And as it all comes together, when we remember God's steadfast love in, in the stories of, of Scripture and each other and the church and our own stories, when, when we lament and we recognize there's broken covenants around us, and when we repent for our own feelings and our own failings, then we can celebrate God's steadfast love for us now. That there is hope because God is faithful. God's love endures always. That he hasn't given up on us. And we do this in a significant way at Christmas when we celebrate that God's love for us was so immense that he became human to dwell among us with the intent of reconciling us through his own self-sacrifice. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. And that we can't just stop there and act like we only you know, do this once a year. Because we're called to live it each and every day. We're called to remember. We do this through songs and prayers and sharing with one another. And as we serve one another. And as we come alongside one another. And, and as we, just life. We do it for the glory of of God. That as we celebrate the steadfast love of God, it will remind us that we are loved. It will let others know that they are loved, that God is faithful, and it gives us all a moment to look back on later when we remember the goodness of God. So let me declare to you today, you are loved. We are loved. And this truth is at the heart of the story that we sang about this morning. God's love is abiding. It's faithful. It's always present. It never leaves. And we can fully remember and trust in God's love is expansive in presence even if others fail around us. And even when we fail, we can trust that God loves us because We can remember where God has been faithful in the past. We can celebrate God where he is faithful now. And we can rest in the understanding that God will always be faithful. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, we sang Silent Night holy night. All is calm, all is bright. And I understand that's a cleaned up version of the messiness that Scripture tells us. But your holiness is not. Your love for us never ends.
God, I recognize that I have failed at different points. And I thank you for the forgiveness that you have given me. That I continue to live into the hope and understanding of your continued faithfulness in my life and in the lives of others. Help me to be a reflection of your saving grace. Help me to be a reflection of your steadfast love that endures beyond compare. Help us as a church as we go about this week to celebrate you daily by remembering not just the stories of Scripture, but the stories of our own understanding of your faithfulness and the faithfulness of others. So we celebrate you today, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Go and be the church.